Welcome to Zach to the Future. I'm your co-host, Dashiell Driscoll, joined today by Mark Paul Gossler. Hi, Dashiell. Hello, Mark Paul. It is so good to see you on this day. It's so good to see you on this day. Yeah, we won't say which day it is because we don't know when you're listening to it. We want to just, whatever day it is for you, that's the day. It's so good to see you, Mark Paul. It's the listener's day every day. Every day. And Mark Paul, did you do your homework? Dashiell, I did my homework. And it wasn't as easy as last week's homework, I must say. I, I enjoyed the show like I always do. I always like watching the gang and, and um, you know, that theme song. Because mm. I'm saved by the bell. Oh, that was good. You want to put a little more, like, from your diaphragm? You want to, like, really, like, belt it out there? I don't feel I have it in me to do it now. Maybe okay. later in the show I'll give you a, a better bell. Okay. Well, it'll be, you know, it'll be a little later in the day. Maybe you'll just be, you know, we'll... We'll see. We'll see if we get there. But back to the show, Dashiell. Help me out here because I feel a little conflicted by this particular episode. It wasn't as carefree and innocent um, as the last episode, but maybe it's because I'm watching it through these eyes and not the eyes of a 13-year-old or the audience that watched it back in the 90s. Yeah, no, this is definitely one of the more jarring episodes to go back and rewatch. Uh, I think you're you're spot on about that. And I don't really, like this plot did not stand out to me as a as a childhood viewer. Uh, when I went back to watch it as an adult, it was like, whoa, this is a, uh, this is pretty, I mean, it's played for laughs and it's supposed to be fun, but it's definitely like uh, unsettling would be the, the word I would use. Okay, well, how about this? How about we put a disclaimer out there? We're not going to turn a, we're, we're not going to say that we don't see some of the morally abhorrent or dated, um, you know, situations and responses to certain things. But we're also here to give you a fun podcast. Uh, it's a celebration of, of Say by the Bell. So with that in mind, um, I, I mean, I feel like we're doing a, you know, like I said, a disclaimer, but, um, with that in mind, if we don't comment on something, it's not because we didn't see it. It's just because we want you to just have fun with us and, and enjoy the show the way you did when you were watching it, you know, maybe not as, not as the evolved human being that you are today. Yeah. We, we recognize it's messed up, but we're also not here to just, uh, tell you how messed up it is. Let's, you know, let's try and have some fun. You know what it comes down to, Dashiell? Sure. This isn't Zach Morris's trash. If you want that, you can go on YouTube and you can catch it there. And it's brilliant work, by the way. I've said this from, yeah, yeah, you're welcome. I've, I've said this from the very beginning. I'm a huge fan of Zach Morris's trash. Zach Morris's trash does a really good job of taking situations that happen in this episode and shining a, um, uh, uh, what kind of light would you say that would be, Dashiell? Just the light of day, uh, just shining <laughs> the light of day on them. Uh, but you know what? Like to your point, yeah. My 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 hot take on this is out there and well documented, and there's 50 of them. So let's try to do something a little different for maybe both of our sanities, because I'm not sure I want to walk down that road again any more than you do. I don't want to walk down that road. I just want to have fun today. I want to I want to talk about some of the things I saw in the episode. Sure. Um, some, maybe some of my memories. It did jog a few of my memories. So I'm 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 going I I'm 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 looking forward to sharing some of those memories with the audience. Oh look at that. Well in case the audience uh, did not do their homework, any one of you, and I'm not gonna, you know, single anyone out, but in case you didn't, I prepared a brief summary so you can get up to speed more or less on the Lisa card, the episode we'll be discussing today. Take it away, Dashiell. Thank you, Mark Paul. The gang got their report cards back, and Lisa's father gave her his credit card as a reward to buy herself something nice, only she went nuts and racked up nearly $400 in charges of non-refundable clothes and is scared of what will happen if she tells her dad the truth. So Zach takes it upon himself to help her repay her debt, which means selling tickets to kiss Lisa without her consent, then auctioning off her pre-worn clothes. When his apparel sale gets busted by building, Lisa gets a job at the max, which pays next to nothing and still leaves her hundreds of dollars short of paying back her dad. Lisa finally tells her dad, who doesn't really care because they're rich, but she has to keep her job until she pays him back to learn a lesson. And that's the episode. And what's the, uh, what's the first scene that we're going into? Well, the first scene we're going into is you at the max, but before we get into that first scene... It's worth noting here that this episode, as it happened, almost didn't happen. Lark had a bad taping of an episode before this in making the original run of Saved by the Bell episodes, and Brandon Tartikoff, who is Peter Engel's boss, 
told Peter Engel, uh, hey, buddy, you've got a you got a dud here and and you can't afford to have any weak links. You need to fire Lark Voorhees. And Peter Engel said, yep, sure, I get it, totally. And he tried to set a meeting to fire her, but I think Lark knew she was going to be fired, as as Peter Engel accounts. And so they both kind of ducked each other, and, and he didn't want to fire her. She obviously didn't want to lose her job. And a whole week went by, and it came time to tape the Lisa card. Brandon Tartikoff shows up and says, uh, so I guess you didn't fire her. And Peter Engel says, yep, I did not. And she killed it. She had a really good taping. And afterwards, Brandon Tartikoff's position totally flipped. He said, you got to keep you got to keep Lark. She's a winner. I didn't know that. Yeah, you were you were working with you were working with someone on borrowed time that episode, uh, but she really swung for it, and she did a she did a really good job. This was very much her episode. Very much her episode. I, I while I was watching it, I, I I just kept saying over and over how good she was and how she drew you in. She was engaging. Um, she's absolutely beautiful. Uh, this was this was a great episode for her. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. She kills it. So uh, on that. The episode begins uh, at the max, and you're doing one of your talk-to-camera segments to open it, uh, which you do not open the first episode in series, but a you- A TTTC, as they called it back then? <laughs> I think you had one one too many T's there. It's a- Talk to the camera? I think it's just a TTC. I think that the the is silent. Well, how is it silent, Dash, if I'm saying it? I guess not. I, you know what? You you would probably know better than I would what they were called. I'll call time. it whatever the damn I want. You will call it whatever the damn you want, and you're going to call it a TTTTTC, <laughs> uh, talking to that there camera. <laughs> and yeah, it, it's kind of the way that um, the way that 90% of the episodes, I would say, open. Um, do you remember working on those or kind of what you were thinking when you were making those? I just remember always being anxious to, to do those scenes because I was not only talking to a camera uh, with a little red light on top, and that's back in the day, we used to have four cameras that would be pointing in different directions on the set. And there's actually a person in a booth um, with the director and the director would say camera one and then camera one would turn on and a little red light would go on. And then he'd say camera three to get another angle and another red light would go on that one. So you always knew which camera was on you. Uh, so I'm staring down the barrel of a, you know, one of those cameras with the red light and the red light to me was always, you know, go time. Um, but not only am I talking to that camera, I'm talking to a live audience. And that's where the anxiety for me would come in because it's one thing to be able to talk to a camera. Uh, it, it, it just becomes very personal, uh, very intimate. But then when you're talking with an audience, you can hear them giggle. You can hear them whisper. Uh, you can see them actually. They're, they're, they're in darkness, but you would see certain things. Um, and you just don't want to mess up. You want it to be right. You want it to be good. Uh, so those those TTCs uh, were always were always a bit uh, yeah anxiety ridden for me. Yeah, pressure's on. That that red light means the the pressure is on, and it's all on you. But you handle it, and you deliver uh, some like fun jokes here about how everyone's getting gifts for their grades, which not not a standard occurrence as far as I can remember from schooling. Uh, Kelly gets a very, a very sad ice cream cone as a, as a gift from her parents. Well, it's for- not very sad. It's just the, the fact that she gets great grades and only gets one scoop of ice cream. <laughs> uh, the, the ice cream cone is actually perfect. It is a perfect shape. Yeah. It never drips. It never right. melts. Yeah. Uh, she licks it twice and then never licks it again. And she's basically holding it as, as, as if it's uh, a microphone under the table. I, I've never seen someone hold an ice cream cone quite like Kelly holds it in that scene. I was, I was riveted watching her hold that throughout the scene. I guess when your parents are only getting you one ice cream cone a year, you're really going to, going to take good care of that thing, which seems to be the, the Kelly Kapowski story as, as painted early on. And, and, and not lick it. I, yeah, I, no. I think she was trying to preserve it as long as it, as long as she could. Yeah, no, she brought it from the ice cream store to show her friends and say, like, check this thing out. And it's interesting. We don't talk about the guys' grades. It's just the uh, the boys' grades. We just talk about the, the girls. Uh, we don't know how Slater did. We know how Screech probably did. Yeah, he did fine. He did okay. Yeah. Um, but speaking of Screech, hey. Yes. A calculator watch. That calculator watch, uh, which is a- Something he- tells me you had one, Dashiell. Yeah, that is, you know, I had multiple. Oh you, my gosh, shocking. 
Yeah, shocking. Shocking, shocking news here. Did you I, have that Casio watch? I didn't have the one with the raised buttons, which I believe is the model that Screech has, which I, I had to look it up, uh, is the model that Marty McFly had. He had the raised button one. But no, I had the flat button Casio, a little more discreet, a little more for, you know, your, your days on the town doing calculations. Which one did Walter White have? Walter White, I want to also say had the raised buttons. I think raised buttons looks better on camera would be my, my pick, but you know, flat buttons for the, for the real discerning gentleman. Uh, I know what you're getting for Christmas from me this year. <laughs> oh man. Uh, a bill probably. <laughs> uh, it's probably going to be for your time, uh, for talking about calculator watches, but yeah, Screech has one, uh, Breaking Bad and Saved by the Bell. That, that calculator watch might be the only thing the two universes have in common. The, oh, you mean there isn't an episode where Zach cooks meth? Uh, oh, we're getting ahead of ourselves, aren't we? Oh. Uh, <laughs> um, and we also have in that scene a very odd, or like a very adult joke, which is Lisa says, Lisa's trying to rationalize. So Lisa comes in and she bought um, $386 of clothes, which is a lot. Um I, I did the math on an internet calculator. It's $823 in today money. But she tries to rationalize it and says, like, these clothes were half off. And then you get this joke from Screech that's very adult. Like, it's a very blue adult joke. I, I do not think that he understood that joke to what it was supposed to mean. Yeah, it, it goes by really fast, but I, like, I don't think those kind of jokes keep happening later in the show run that are so... Like, that's a dirty joke. She's like, half off, Lisa's clothes. Oh my God. Like, steam is going to start coming out of his collar. And there's Zach Dangerfield again. Yeah. What does he do? Do you think I went overboard and he says, like the crew of the Titanic? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Zach, Zach takes, Zach wastes no time like making a joke at the expense of everyone who died on that boat. Um, Everyone who was working who died on that boat. Uh, And so Lisa's freaking out about her $386. And her response in the next scene in her bedroom is, is to run away from home. She thinks the best way to deal with this is to, to run away from her family. And we get a fuzzy pink border fantasy sequence. Uh, I was just going to say. Yeah. We go back to that trope. Yeah, that new, that new thing that you know is from the show you were in, uh, the fuzzy pink border fantasy sequence. But I would like to just point out that like fantasy might be the wrong word because this particular scene, it's more like a nightmare. It's really dark. I mean, Lisa, Lisa's envisioning telling her father... And he basically turns into the devil. There's like a red light and then Screech shows up as the Grim Reaper. It's, do, you, do you remember any of this stuff as being like, you were on kind of a scary show? Uh, I don't remember that particular scene, but I do remember, uh, it's coming back to me, Dashiell. Check huh, this out. Please. Those fuzzy uh, fantasy sequences were shot, were pre-shot before the audience actually got there. So we would always film on a Friday. Um, it was pretty much an all-day affair. But in the morning, we shot without an audience. And in the evening, we shot with the audience. And so that particular scene or those scenes were shot, pre-shot without an audience. And for instance, in that, in that uh, bedroom scene, we do the beginning part. She goes into that fantasy. The, the camera pushes it into her. They replay the part that we filmed, the, the, the pre-shot part we filmed. And uh, the audience laughs or, or, you know, we get a reaction from them. And then we hold and we come back into the scene. So it's a seamless way of doing it. And the audience, there's not a quick changeover because obviously that would take forever to change her into this wig that she's wearing in that scene. Can we talk <laughs> about that wig? Sure, yeah. The uh, Can the, we talk about that appearance? Is that a Joan Jett? Like what, what's going on there? Tina Turner? It feels, yeah, it feels very like punk. Like, because like, again, it's 1989. So it's like, uh, oh, my daughter's a, a punk in like denim and chains and- you can't love a punk. You yeah, can't no, love not, someone in denim. She's not welcome at Thanksgiving. Uh, as If you're not daddy's little girl, you are not coming home for the holidays. Uh, you're just presumably living on the street making like a lo-fi punk records. Um, and so Lisa, after this nightmare, which by the way, that is, that's really interesting. That's how you, you shot those. It makes sense that you wouldn't break down the scene and set it up again. But also for the studio audience, that's cool. They can like be along for the, 
the journey kind of thing. And actually, I, I, I now that I'm thinking about it, we sh- we would pre-shoot some other scenes that weren't fantasy sequences, just to maybe because there was a there was a intricate stunt or there was an interest an intricate wardrobe change. Uh, so we would pre-shoot those things so that we didn't have to take up the time of the audience. The whole objective was to keep the audience in there for as as, as little as possible because again we we had our peers in the audience um, and. I think the max they wanted to keep people uh, in the audience was for two and a half hours um, sitting there. And I'm sure you, you've you've been to other studio tapings where it could go on into the into the into night. Yeah, no, uh, I've I've had sp- friends who write on shows, and I've tried to do my best to like support them. And like, I'll come to a taping of your show, and sometimes you're there for like four hours, and it yeah, is no. it is an there's got to be a better way to support your friends. <laughs> no, this was like coming to a live show. We we tried not to do uh, multiple takes because um, again, we we pre-shot a lot of things uh, before the audience actually showed up. So if we if we messed up, we may have gone back, or we may have just moved forward and used the take that we did earlier in the day. It's interesting too that it was on a Friday. Uh, I'm when I was after school. Yeah, no, when I um. But also like Friday energy, like you're kind of taking a bunch of kids who are like primed for the weekend and kind of in a Friday headspace and putting yeah. them in this fun environment. But it was also a really fun environment because we also had a warm up guy and he would do um, you know, jokes and kind of warm you up. But uh, uh, and then afterwards, yeah, uh, I know the cast and I, we would always go to a place called Ed DeBevix. Uh, here in Los Angeles, and it was sort of like a, a '50s diner kind of thing where you know they would do the bop and. Um, fun little things like that. And you would see other, other actors from other shows, uh, just came to my mind. Like Chad Allen would, would be there. And Ed DeBevix on, uh, on La Cienega Boulevard between Wilshire and third. How do that's, you know this? That's where it used to be. Do, oh, how, do I even want to ask how you know this? I grew up in Los Angeles and I had many a birthday party and even just some like casual pop-ins myself at Ed DeBevix. Did you ever see me? You know, it, it, I don't know, but but ships in the night, quite possibly, getting their uh, their chicken tenders, which I remember were exceptional. Uh, and they would also get up and do the YMCA there. That was like their thing. Like at least once every twenty minutes, if you were a server at Ed DeBevix, it was basically the closest thing to working at the Max. <laughs> like they would get up on the tables, and as a as a team, the whole crew would do the YMCA. I'm sure it was a good way for the the staff there to to audition for uh, roles because mm. uh, a lot of people in the industry uh, went there. Yeah. Yes, Beverly Hills. Like, I'm sure there, there are a lot of people there because you would kind of work the tables as a waiter and like do little bits for people. Um, and not dissimilar if you've seen uh, Pulp Fiction to like the um, Steve Buscemi's Buddy Holly waiter kind of thing. That's right. Um, which I think is kind of loosely based on Ed Bevix, but you know, that's a whole other thing. But that's, that's very interesting stuff, Mark Paul. Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your time time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Following Lisa's decision to not run away, um, and she's scared that her dad will murder her, so Kelly is trying to give her advice to, you know, get a job, that that whole thing. And job to Lisa is like a horrible, horrible word. And she is repulsed. Uh, Lisa, who is rich, she is a a rich young lady on television. Uh, she, she cannot imagine getting a job. And I, I want to just point out for a second, this is a very specific new type of character that was on Saved by the Bell. Lisa Turtle is a rich, fashion-forward, black, young woman on TV. And that kind of representation was 
not exactly abundant. You had uh, Whitley marrying Gilbert on A Different World just before this and on NBC. And then Hillary Banks, a little after Saved by the Bell premiered, on also on NBC. Uh, but this is a new new type of character. And I wanted to bring on a guest this week, which is uh, Amy Jo Perry. And Amy Jo Perry is a writer with me on the new Saved by the Bell, the one that is coming out this year. And I wanted to speak with her a little bit about her experience, both as a TV writer on The Bold Type and Saved by the Bell, and about what Lisa Turtle meant to her as a character. Did you get a chance to watch The Lisa Card? I did. I did. It was, you know, in the preparation for the reboot, I went back and revisited a lot of episodes, and I didn't remember watching this one, so it was a nice, it was a nice surprise. It was almost like I had never seen it before, even though I'm sure I saw it many times when I was a kid. Yeah, I, I had the same impression when I went back and saw the Lisa card again for the first time as an adult. Like, oh, I forgot all about this. And were you at all, uh, what was your, I guess, what was your impression of the episode as being like, oh, this is, I don't remember this plot. You know, I don't, as a little kid, I, just to get it out of the way, was obsessed with Saved by the Bell. Like, I think a lot of people my age were, were like, my tiny body would get so freaking excited watching the show and in particular watching Lisa Turtle. Um, the things I didn't remember, I didn't remember her not having as much agency as I seem to remember. Like there's a point in the middle of this episode, which is ostensibly all about Lisa Turtle and her trying to pay back this money to her dad, where she just like disappears and like Zach is doing her story, which is so like, oh, I don't remember that from when I was a kid. It seemed, I, I remember her being way more involved and in charge. Um, so maybe that was wishful thinking. Hmm, on, you mean the clothing auction? Yeah. Yeah, like we're like... Like, like where is Lisa, she during the auction? It's crazy. when it, It's Lisa's bathing suit, but Kelly comes out where it's so <laughs> strange. Like she's like, I don't know if this is going to work, Zach. And then she's not in any of the scenes. Very funny. That stood out to me as well. Uh, did the... Did the whole like selling kisses thing stand out as being like pretty jarring? Because I when when I watched it, I could not believe what I was seeing that that Zach's scheme was to sell Lisa's kisses one dollar at a time. Yeah, it's it's so funny. It's another thing that felt like very fun and innocent when I was like eight, and then watching it was like, oh, gross. And she doesn't seem to be into it. Look, I support sex workers. Do what you got to do, girl. Not even what you got to right, do. Sex workers want to do. Check work is work. Do that. Lisa, not not excited about selling kisses. And yet that is the plan that Zach voiced upon her. So, you know, I will say, though, as a kid, for me watching Lisa in particular, there was something very magical about her being not the rich part. I don't think I really clocked so much, but the fact that she was so fashionable and so... Um, desired, I guess, is is something that I remember really loving as a kid. So in that way, maybe it's like nice to see like, oh, people want to kiss Lisa so much that they'll pay for it, but also, ew. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. That's a, that's a nice, that's a nice spin on it. She's, she's so desirable that, that people will pay to kiss her. Uh, that's a very, that is a very innocent uh, attitude towards, towards the exchange that's going on in that scene. Yeah. Yeah, Which is innocent. Know, it's it's supposed to be played for fun. It's for kids. It's a it's a kid show. It's for kids. On on Lisa's desirability and sort of her um the impression she made on you, Amy Joe, as a black TV writer and mm-hmm. a child who was watching this this character on the show. I guess the question I have is about sort of representation and what it may have meant to you as a young viewer and now as a writer to have experienced a character who is so wealthy and so fashion forward um, as, as being this kind of new trope that emerged in the 80s and 90s on television? You know, the thing that I think when I think about like um, like Whitley Gilbert or even um, Hillary Banks, the difference between them and Lisa, for me, at least as a, um, a brown-skinned, like identifiably black woman and at the time like a, a black little girl, was that Lisa was brown skinned and to me it was so great which I don't think I realized at at the time as a kid but it was so great to see someone whose blackness was not sort of and I don't want to in any way minimize the the experiences of fair-skinned black people but 
for me, it meant a lot to see someone who had my complexion, who was black, black, not like, oh, is your daddy maybe Asian? No, no, no. You're black, black. Um, there was something that was so nice about her being uh, so fashion forward and so, I don't know, sparkly, like princessy. Like even watching her dad call her his little princess, I, I do think there is maybe a, a split among white feminists and I think black feminists in terms of their feelings. about, And I think rightfully a lot of my like white girlfriends um, bristle at some of the princess stuff and like looking at women as like, Oh, just she only cares about clothes and fashion. And like rightfully they bristle at that. But on the same token, I think for sometimes for black women, because we are seen as like, Oh, you're so strong. Oh, you're so sometimes masculine in some ways. The, the watching Lisa Turtle for me is like transgressive in some way in that it's like black women so often don't get to be doted on. You don't get to wear the sparkly dress. You aren't the princess. So there's something nice about Lisa sort of embodying that in a way that I found very, very compelling as a kid. Mm. Because you have to, like, at the same time I was watching Lisa Turtle, I was also... So the American doll girls were like very, very big at my school. I knew I was never going to get an American girl doll, but everyone was reading the books. So I remember like getting the book about the only black doll that they had at that time in the nineties, who was a family. It was a little girl whose family had escaped from slavery, which like, yes, for history, yes, read that book to learn. But like, I remember being eight or nine and being like, what the fuck? Like, I don't want to, I want to play with like a, a ballerina Barbie. I don't want to play like, the, I don't have to tell you the clothes of a formerly enslaved girl are not like fun to put on the doll. Oh my That's, like, gosh. Not fun. So like in that way, like American girl has expanded since then, but in that way, like Lisa turtle to me was like a breath of fresh air because it's like, Oh yeah. Yes, the black girl gets to be sparkly and great and amazing. That's what I want to be. Yeah, truly, she she made the show for me. Like, I, I know we had talked, you and I, Dasha, about, like, how, like, yes, Lisa is, like, so fashion forward and so great, but, like, she doesn't have any love interest, really, other than Screech, who is, like, a nothing. But, like, watching this episode, yeah. the moment where, like, Zach towards the end, like, grabs her hand for, like, a long time, and they, like, sort of look at each other. I was like, and now they kiss? And now they kiss. Like, I, I want them to kiss. Wow, that was, uh, that was really great, and really great insight from, from Amy Jo, both as a TV writer, but as yeah, a viewer. That was awesome. Hats off to Amy Jo. Hats off to Amy Jo. Thank you. And moving right along. So we're back in Lisa's bedroom, and... Yeah, Mark Paul, the, the way this scene ends is is nuts. So you, you, Zach Morris, rip off your shirt when you hear Lisa's in trouble here and say the words, this sounds like a job for Zach Man. I think I could do that better, by the way. Can you, oh, you think you can do a better read now? This sound, no, I'm going to do it like I did back in the day. It was oh, perfect. you're saying it you, think you can back do then. you better Dashiell, than me. Got everything it. I did on that show was perfect. Got it. Gosh. Sorry, please. It's all yours. <laughs> no, now I don't want to do it. Okay. But if I if I had done it earlier, it would have sounded like, this sounds like a job for Zachman. I don't understand why I said for and then Zachman. Like, who was I trying to impersonate? I don't remember. I don't know. Hmm. But somebody should have given me a note and just said, hey, you know what? Just throw that away. Well, just it sounds it like away. you were just, doing- just, just give it a, you know, this sounds like a job for Zachman. Instead, I did... This sounds like a job for Zachman. And who am I talking? I mean, who is that for? Who does this benefit? I, I, I feel this was for the audience more than anybody. This may have been me uh, improvising. I, I don't even know if this was scripted. I may have had a shirt that had a Z on it and said, you know what? This is going to be good. Mm. I'm going to get them. If I was, if I was the director and one of, one of my cast decided to wear a shirt with a letter on it and improvise ripping off their top shirt to expose the letter and saying a line, I would be into it. I would be like, that's really cool. And I wish more of my actors brought this kind of unpredictable energy to set. Right. And look at the energy it, it, it uh, generated. This is one of the first times, because we're only on the second episode, mm-hmm. that we hear the shrills, the shouts. Yeah. Yeah, that's the first. I, I got the first one. The crowd well, goes maybe wild. Not. There may have been something in the max. 
uh, when, oh, when Lisa got out of the, the, the meat cart, I think the, the audience, uh, came alive at that point, but, um, you definitely hear the whistles and the, and the, and the hollers and, um, it made me feel good. Good. That's what, you know, that's what going to a job is all about is, is you want to feel good when you're there and when you leave. No, I mean, it made me feel good while I was watching it. As an adult now. Yes. Got it. Okay, cool. We're in the classroom. So this is when we talk about this episode being uncomfortable or a little bit hard to digest. Uh, we were talking about this scene, this classroom <laughs> scene. So Mark Paul, as, as someone who was watching this with fresh eyes as an adult, looking back on your work, uh, what was sort of your unfolding of, of how, how did this unfold to you emotionally as you watched the scene? I think a lot of, I, I did a lot of, oh, Zach. And then I thought, no, that wasn't, oh, Zach. That was the, oh, writers. Hmm. You know, people like you, Dashiell, <laughs> yeah. that put those words on a page that I had, that I had to speak. Um, I think this is one of those now, you know, being, being the actor that I am, I would protect myself as well as my character. Hmm. Uh, this would be one of those times where I would, where I would have a dialogue with a writer or producer um, and, and have a discussion and say, I think we should kind of look at this a little deeper. Is this going to reflect well for me, for the character, and, you know, for, for the future of the show? Yeah, no, character protection is huge because you want the audience to still like this person next week. And you just can't imagine a second episode of any teen family sitcom where they're like, ah, I know, our precocious youth will unknowingly like sell kisses for a dollar of his best, one of his best friends uh, without her like knowledge or consent. That just would never happen. People would be like, no, that no one's going to like this guy next week. Well, that wouldn't happen now, but right. you know, back then. Sure, different time. Different time. Different and time. If, if you're looking at it through the lens of, of the audience that it was meant for, uh, it, 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 it comes off pretty innocent. It's 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 a typical, I'm sure, Zachism um, throughout the run of this show. I'm I, I you you've created a whole nother show because of it. Yeah, no, he was very into like making small denominations of money in seemingly arduous ways. So yeah, this is right on uh, on character for Zach. And another character in this classroom is one of the teachers. So say by the bell or Bayside rather is home to just so many strange teachers. And this one is played by Carol Lawrence, who's a Broadway legend. She played Maria in the original West Side Story run on Broadway, not in the movie. Um, and yeah, so 30 plus years after that, she's she's on Saved by the Bell doing this like super heightened teaching about animals having sex. That's totally normal. It's totally normal stuff. For, well, I mean, you are going to teach about that in class, maybe not by by getting up on a desk and, and riveting but I guess the point I would I'm trying to make is uh in the first episode you have this this veteran cartoon voice actor who plays it way over the top and in the second this teacher is a a trained Broadway, you know, trained Broadway legend here and this Broadway actress she also plays it like to uh, an 11 and it's just kind of interesting this this bouncing of energy that they they put these teachers in the scenes with you to really give it that like ramped up sensibility. Yeah, I'm sure she had fun doing it too. You know, you get to you get to be silly, and uh, I'm sure she sh she thought that nobody would would see this show. Um, <laughs> so what the heck? <laughs> you know, it's just a Saturday morning show. No one will ever watch this. Uh, so yeah, but I was watching that, and I thought, oh, I would love to have seen an, a scene between her and Belding. Hmm. I would have loved to have seen like the sexual tension between her and Belding and him being <laughs> uncomfortable and her, her sort of, you know, driving that. Uh, and, and then we get, we get a little bit of Belding. We get, we get a, a taste of his, his first laugh yeah, his in, first, the, uh, in yeah. the announcement. Yeah. He gets on the horn and uh, he talks about, he, there's like a charity drive, which comes back later. And then he's, he's really there to set up an earthquake drill, but we do get a Belding, a signature Belding laugh that will become like a one of his, you know, one of his hallmarks as a character throughout the series. He milked the hell out of that throughout the uh, run of the show. It got bigger and bigger and longer and longer. Hey, when you got a good thing going, you know, just just drive it into the ground is what I say. 
as the guy doing this, this podcast. (laughs) 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 Um, So Lisa, Lisa crawls over to Zach during this and she, you know, she, she feels cheap is what she says, which she's not, she's not wrong. Um, cause she made $36 is Zach's response, which again, in today's money is like what? 70 bucks. It was like a two to one kind of thing. And uh, with my math, by the way, that was uh $33 from Screech. 33. Oh, right. Because she only, well, no, cause it, I think she got a premium when the two dudes kissed her at once. I think that cost extra. How so? How would you, how did you come up with that conclusion? Cause he has a board where he's crossing off the dollar amounts. Uh-huh. And I think the first dollar amount he crosses off is like $1 off for one kiss. Right. But when the two slime balls who are like extra slimy <laughs> come up and kiss her, it's like a bigger jump. Uh, like more money comes off the board. I think it's like, I'm going to say between eight and $12 if we want to use like a, a price is right range here. Uh, but like, some more money comes off. Like like two for one is is actually cost more. Does it really? See, this is you went to real school. I went to set school. You can see uh, through this conversation where that paid off. I, I mean, it's just it's 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 pretty basic uh, addition and subtraction. But sure, why not? <laughs> um, but so after this uh, this scene, which again is is probably one of the more uncomfortable ones, and that we'll be watching anytime soon, we get Zach's next step in his plan, which is to sell all of Lisa's clothes at an auction in the hallway. And I want to ask you, did, so like, this scene has a very elaborate technical setup where all the locker doors swing open and swing closed at once. Did any of that uh, ring a bell or do you have any like recollection of of seeing that or being a part of that? No, but like I said earlier, I I bet this was a pre-tape scene because it was so... um, intricate, uh, all those moving parts. Um, but I, I would imagine those were some pretty hefty hydraulics they were using to open those, uh, those lockers. Um, no, there's a few things while watching this scene that, that made me giggle. Uh, first, right off the bat, screech sneezing. Um, generally when you sneeze and you're on camera, you try to make it as inconspicuous as possible. Uh, he makes a meal out of that, (laughs) out of that sneeze. I mean, it is a full on like dance. Uh, and, 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 uh, I just, I found myself, uh, rewinding that just to watch it a few times. It made me giggle every time. Um, I also remember this, this is like a flashback for me, but, uh, uh, Mario always grabbing my arm so aggressively. Uh, it was almost as he would, he would do that to, to maybe get it. We would always try to make each other laugh on the set. We would always try to make, sure. it's like SNL, you know, where the, where the, uh, artists are always trying to get the other one to, to, to giggle in a scene. Um, so he may have been doing that to, to throw me off, possibly get a response. Um, you know, again, we were, we were kids, uh, The other thing I noticed were some of the regular background artists. Uh, And in that scene, I remembered Yuri Henley. He's the one in the background with the uh, with a man bun, well ahead of his time with that man bun, and a leather jacket. Uh, he's one of the, uh, the the filthy animals that bids on Kelly. We'll get to that, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, so he is Maria Henley's son, and Maria, as we discussed in the previous episode, is an AD on our show. She also choreographed Dancing to the Max, um, and Yuri would PA for a few episodes and then also uh, join us as an extra. And fun little fact, as you like to say, Dashiell. I do. Yuri Henley now has gone from being an extra on, on Saved by the Bell and, and took the, you know, the, the direct path. You go from being an extra to now he is a big feature film producer. Uh, he has produced films like A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, and The Lighthouse. Uh, so these are like legit huge films with, uh, you know, Academy Award winners. Yeah, no, I was going to say those are Oscar nominated and I think Oscar winning movies. I think so. If you say so, then it must be right. Eh, well, you know, we'll fact check it later. The the official guarantee of this podcast. But I'd love to talk about some of these background artists throughout the course of this uh, this show. I'd lo- love to get to know more of them because they were such. Uh, uh, you can't you can't miss them. Yeah, um, no, they're they're a part of the school. They're they're, they're, they're a part of the family. Of, yeah, so I would love on. to 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 dig deeper into into some of them, like the twins, for instance. Right. 
the twins who who buy cowboy boots one at a time. They couldn't <laughs> they couldn't coordinate that one. Um, and yeah, Zach. So Zach is selling uh, what worn like these are all worn items, which is a little concerning. And uh, there's lingerie, which Screech buys for his. He only has two dollars left in his life savings because he just bought all those kisses. Uh, and and that wig that you hold up to sell. Did that wig look familiar at all to you? Because it, it looked a little familiar to me. It looked familiar to me only because I've seen pictures of me dressed up as a girl uh, from this show. I don't remember exactly what that was, but I, I, maybe we recycled it. It was from the episode where you dress up as Bambi, ah. which we will get to. But yeah, it did look it did look like, it looks like Bambi's wig. And I, I do have to wonder, were they just like, uh, yeah, we already got a wig. We're not going to buy another one. Dashiell, this was a Saturday morning show. We didn't have the budget. Right. We did what we had to do. We were just surviving just, out there. Just trying to get by. Just trying to get by. Uh, so Belding, unpredictably here, he, he he's about to bust up this auction. And Slater creates- But hold on. Can we go? Can, we've, we skipped over Rocco. Oh, you're, you know, <laughs> how, how could I? How could I just blow right past Rocco? <laughs> that seems so out of place yeah. for this show. I mean, what? I, I, you mean that booming voice of an adult man buying a girl's used wig? $12. Yeah, that's, that's yeah, there, the, some, some questions about Rocco for sure. Like, I feel like he's probably the janitor. You would think that I would remember- seen whoever played Rocco, uh, and I don't. Um, so I think the reason why is because it may be Dustin Diamond's father, Mark Diamond, who was a voice actor. And I'm going to, uh, you know, we have time, guys. I will find out through the course of the season if it actually was him. And uh, But he, I think he did a few voices on our show. So I'd love to find out if Mark Diamond indeed did the Rocco voice. Oh. All right, well, well, we'll have to crack that case before this run is done. Uh, but so Belding, um, he's going to bust up the auction and, and ruin all of Zach's many sales. And so Slater runs interference by saying he's having an identity crisis and likes to wear a dress, which is, he, he grabs one from a locker, I assume. And, uh, you know, we're, we're not really here to, we're not qualified here to, to break down why this is maybe not the best, but suffice to say, just another one of those kind of jarring things in retrospect that this is like one of their youthful hijinks and Belding takes Slater into his office where I you learn a little bit a little bit about Belding which is that he both fought in Vietnam and had a girlfriend who was the enemy and he said <laughs> she was Viet Cong yeah she yeah and he says all this while while holding a pipe it's like this is like a a triple threat of just like man you would just get fired for doing this and I have to imagine then too uh the 80s weren't that different um, and back at the auction. So this is the scene you were talking about. Uh, Zach parades Kelly out in Lisa's bathing suit. Yeah. A few things wrong with that. I'm sure, uh, hygiene, um, Brett, you know, I've, I've tried on a few underwear and usually have to put the little paper, uh, there. So hopefully that was going on. Um, but you know, I digress. Uh, but that particular scene, I, I vaguely remember the feeling of um, being uncomfortable. And and the reason why is because none of us were comfortable with our shirts off, except for one uh, person on that, on that show. Screech. Uh, for the most part, being on a set in front of a live audience, in front of your peers, in a bathing suit, uh, it's, it's, it's different. You know, I mean, it's, it's like when you're at the beach, you're at the beach, you're, you're wearing a bit, you're at the swimming pool, you're at a swimming pool, but walk into a office, your work, uh, environment with your bathing suit, it becomes a whole nother situation. It becomes uncomfortable. So I, I vaguely remember Tiffany being uncomfortable, which made me very uncomfortable, um, as a supporting, uh, you know, worker, actor, uh, for her. So, um, those scenes were not something that we looked forward to. Yeah. Well, but given that she looked amazing, um, I think I let out an audible, whoa, when she came down, uh, those stairs. Um, <laughs> again, <laughs> yeah, not, not, not the easiest scenes, uh, for a teenager to pull off. No, I can't imagine. Uh, but you know, she, she owns it. And Zach, in his infinite wisdom, buys buys the bathing suit for himself for twelve dollars, despite the the wall of of rabid teenage male bidders. And uh, Belding comes around the corner, and we get another first here. We get his 
his other signature, the what's going on here? No, hey, 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 but a, a building looking around at a scheme and going, what's going on here? So Zach tries to cover quickly, but uh, basically these clothes go to the charity donation. That's what building assumes is going on here. Um, and Zach is not in trouble, but Lisa has lost all of her clothes. And so Lisa, Lisa is forced to get a job at the max as we begin our third act here. Uh, and she's bad at it. She, she is not good at this job. And she's also waiting on like the same creeps who were buying her clothes and kisses 10 minutes ago. And Slater steps in to help her because the, the thought is she can earn more money in tips if, if she gets more tables, which she can do by clearing the table she has quicker. Now, did you, did you notice any holes in that logic? Yeah. It, it, isn't it usually shitty service equals no tip? Traditionally, yeah. Okay. Just, just checking because maybe I've been overpaying. Yeah, no, the, the worse the service is, the, the lower the tip is. So you'd think that by someone ripping your food away before you've eaten it, it would lower it, but whatever. Uh, it's also worth pointing out that before the max job starts, Lisa, according to Zach, has made $53 selling clothes, which brings her total to $89. And I'm kind of wondering at this point, did Zach take a cut or like what was, what was his end of things? Because why, why is he doing all this? Hey, stop it. Leave Zach alone, Dashiell. Okay. I didn't think about it like that. Good point. So <laughs> after Mario helps, uh, Mario decides to, to help Lisa and the whole gang kind of, they, they do this. It's like another um, stop or another camera trick scene where they, they lock the camera I off. I tell you, Don Barnhart was throwing out all the stops in this episode. We had the lock-off scene. We had this uh, sped up, whatever this was called. Uh, we had a thought bubble. Uh, that was pretty rare. Yeah, and Dutch angle thought bubble. Yep, yeah, that's correct. we had a um, the the fuzzy tropey thing. Yep, the and fuzzy then, trophy um, thing. Uh, later in the scene, we sort of had a freeze frame. Did I see that? Yeah, the the edit when Lisa is done. So like Zach, Zach comforts Lisa after revealing he lost all her clothes, and and they kind of have like a sweet moment where they hold hands. And yeah, I, I believe it does freeze freeze frame on that as a uh, a nice edit to the final scene, which is Lisa's. Confession to her dad, who doesn't care. The dad, the dad is like, "Oh, four hundred dollars. Okay, well, uh, let's go to Sizzler. Uh, we're rich." Hmm. Sizzler. Did you ever go to Sizzler? I did. Yeah, I used to go with my grandpa to Sizzler. He loved Sizzler, and uh, the one nearby us is the to more street names. The one on that used to be on Highland. I just remember before that one. Sunset. Yeah. Yeah. They, they, oh, <laughs> you know, why I remember that one. I was a child actor, believe it or not. I believe that. Yeah. And I would, this is before Say by the Bell, but I would, be, I would sometimes go to three or four commercial auditions a day after school. And so I would do my homework on the drive over the valley. I lived in the valley and we'd take uh, Laurel Canyon over into uh, Hollywood. And I would, I would, I would get car sick from doing my, um, homework on a windy road. Mm. And, and I was, you know, good and nauseous for my, for my auditions for, for whatever commercial I was doing. Um, and before we would head back over the hill, it would be, you know, close to the evening and, and, uh, I gotta get home. Uh, we would go to Sizzler, my mother and I, wow. and, uh, that was like a, a regular occurrence to go to that, that exact same, uh, Sizzler on Highland. So you're telling me we were both running around Ed DeBevix and Sizzler same locations. We we easily could have we easily could have bumped into each other. This Let is, me throw another one at you. Shakey's. Did you ever go to Shakey's? The one on Santa Monica by La Brea. No, the one on San Vicente. I like that. Believe that it was no in the valley. It was the on the Laurel valley. Canyon, uh, no. close by Victory or Roscoe, somewhere like around there. I know the Roscoe I, and Victory. What am I saying? Those are like miles apart. It was Laurel Canyon, I believe, somewhere by uh, Victory. No, it was a Shakey's. I'm, I'm not familiar with that particular Shakey's, uh, but but we can. I'm, I look forward to continuing to play this game <laughs> to find out where we may or may not have shared a meal uh, many many years ago. And so after uh, Lisa's dad is like, cool, that's it, Sizzler. We get that that cool pink bubble, uh, thought bubble, which is much rarer than the, the full-blown fantasy, which is, I, I wish they used it more. It's it's really cool thing. Feels kind of comic booky to match the cartoon energy of the show. And Lisa gives her dad the money she's made so far. 
and Zach and Jesse show up with some more money. So it's, she doesn't, her debt is lower, but her dad says she still has to keep the job she has to, you know, learn a lesson, which is good. Got to learn lessons every now and then. And we end with like another very bizarre prop comedy gag, uh, which is Zach pulling out a, a Lisa card, which looks like a Visa card. The Lisa card. Don't leave home with it. How was that read? That was, that was perfect. Was no it better? Yeah, that was really good. Um, this is like, again, it does raise the question, who is this for? Like, because it feels like Lisa sees the Zach man thing, whereas the Lisa card is is just between Zach and the audience. Uh, it's it's very, it's, it's a very interesting way to, to end a scene. Uh, but it is kind of strange, this like cartoon-esque logic of just pulling out gags and that kind of thing. Saved by the bell. Saved by the bell. Because I'm saved by the bell. That was a better, that was better. You did Thank have- you. I'm, you, I'm getting better. Yeah. I'm warmed I, up. All right, well, we're going we're gonna to do two or three of those every episode until it's like CD quality audio. Uh, and I think we can get there. I really do. Now, we have more homework, Mark Paul. Can you believe that? Can't wait. Good. You don't have to. You can do it right now if you want. Uh, the homework for next week's episode is to watch season one, episode three of Saved by the Bell called The Gift, which again, if you're watching on streaming platforms, it's put under season two. It's because Miss Bliss is season one. Now, don't overthink it or worry about it too much. You'll find it. You seem like a smart person who can figure it out. Now, Mark Paul, do you have any guesses what happens in The Gift? Oh, The Gift. Uh, it's a, it, There's an intricate plot about the gang um coming up with a way to figure out how to give a gift to someone. That is, that is not it at all, but that sounds like a good episode too. And <laughs> I think there, I think there is an episode. What you just described does happen later. This is, this is why I'm not a writer, Dashiell. I don't know. I think you could get the job. No problem. I'm, I'm pretty sure you could, you could have my job tomorrow if you really want it. Thank you so much for taking the time, Mark Paul, to do your homework and to talk about this episode. Thanks so much to Amy Jo Perry for taking the time to talk to us about her experiences. Thank you, Amy. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed the pod, be sure to subscribe and leave a review. Zach to the Future is a production of Cadence 13. It's executive produced by Mark Paul Gosler, myself, and Chris Corcoran. Production and direction led by Terrence Malingone. Editing and mastering by Andy Jaskowitz. Engineering and production coordination by Sean Cherry. Artwork by Kurt Courtney with illustrations by Jeff McCarthy. Marketing is led by Josephina Francis with PR by Hilary Schuf. Thanks to the whole team at Canes 13 and to you for listening. See you next week.